Do you remember the word YOLO? You remember that? Yeah, that acronym that means you only live once. It was the word of the year back in 2011. Everybody seemed to be saying it absolutely everywhere you went. Every social media post you saw was hashtagged YOLO. It was on t-shirts. It was on stickers. I even know of people who had YOLO tattooed on themselves, which I'm sure this morning they regret sincerely, okay? Uh, It was one of those goofy sayings that just caught fire. It went viral, and everywhere you went, everywhere you talked to somebody, they were using that phrase. It was ironic Because it was really meant as kind of this positive, motivational thing. You only live once. You only get one life. So make the most of it. And then it devolved into this, I'm going to eat a 2,000 calorie plate of nachos because YOLO, right? It just, it became meaningless over time because it was used so terribly often. Now, here's the thing. For all of its silliness, for the fact that it's a cliche, and the second I say it today, you kind of groan. You're like, oh gosh, I remember that. For all of that, YOLO is actually on to something. Because in truth, we do only get one life. We do only live once. And every single person on the planet, whether you're young or old, whether you're a man or a woman, whether you're religious or not, every one of us want our life to count. We want our life to make a positive impact on the world. In short, we all desperately want to make a difference with the 60, 70, 80, or maybe even 90 years that we've been given. We've been saying for the last several weeks, nobody wants to live a life that's routine or mundane or small. The problem is we have this desire within us, but we don't really know how to experience anything more than the mundane, the routine, and sometimes even the small. We go to work every day, we get up, we do the chores. It's like this on and on and on. It's like our days are on repeat over and over again. And we yearn to break out of that cycle. We yearn to do something that's meaningful with our lives, but we're not always sure what steps to take or how we can invest ourselves into making a difference. Now, the good news is you were not meant to live a mundane or a routine or a boring life. God never intended that for you. Every single one of you were designed to live life overflowing through Jesus Christ. You were designed for more than what you may have settled for. God actually wants you to use your life to make a difference, to have an impact here in Calgary and around the world. So this is it. Final week here. How do we make a difference? How do we invest our lives so that something good comes out of it? How do we use these years that we've been given to make a positive impact in our world? We all want that, but it gets a little hazy when we try to figure out how. What do we do? Is it a matter of how much money or free time you have? Do you need to be like a really hard worker in order to make a difference in the world? Or is it you just get lucky and what do you know, you've made a difference? Is it some combination of the two? Does it come down to who you are or where you were born? I mean, what is it that allows some people to make a difference with their lives and other people to simply do their time, to go through the routine and to never experience the more that God created them for? 
Lucky for us, Jesus tells a really fascinating story in the Bible. And in this story, he lays out a roadmap. He lays out the characteristics of people who make a difference in the world around them. If you want your life to count, if you want your life to leave a positive mark on the world, then Jesus' words here in this story give you the blueprint in order to make that happen. So this story is found in Matthew chapter number 25. It's a very famous parable. It's often called the parable of the talents or the parable of the three servants. There are some things, maybe if you've never encountered the Bible before, if you're new to Bible study, the word parable might be a little bit strange or unfamiliar to you. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about what a parable is, and then we're going to read this story together because, again, this is a story about your life. This is a story about how you can invest yourself into the world around you for the sake of God's kingdom and make a difference. So the first thing you need to know before we read this story is that a parable is made up. It never happened. A parable is a made-up story. When Jesus tells parables about people, these are not people that he knows of somewhere else in the world. This is a made-up story that he is telling in order to make a point. It is an invented story with invented characters and uh, plot lines and situations so that he can teach something to us about the nature of God and the nature of ourselves. Parables are made up. The second thing you might need to know is that in every single parable, there will be a character that represents God, and there will be characters or a character that is supposed to represent you. So when you encounter a parable, the three questions you should be asking are, where is God in this story? Because he's in there somewhere. Where am I in this story? Because believe it or not, you are represented by one of the characters. And then the last one you should ask is, what's the point? What was the thing that Jesus was trying to communicate by telling this particular story? So let's read this with those things in mind, made up, designed to tell a point. You're in there and God's in there as well. Uh, Let's read Matthew chapter number 25 and let's see what Jesus has to say about people who make a difference. We're going to start reading in verse number 14. Jesus says, he's speaking here. These are his words. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. So from the very get-go, Jesus is kind enough to tell us exactly what this parable is about. What's the point in telling this story? Jesus says, I want to teach you what the kingdom of heaven is like. Sometimes Jesus told parables and he would explain it to the whole crowd, to everybody that was listening. Sometimes he would tell a parable. He wouldn't explain it to the big crowd, but later he would explain it just to his 12 disciples. And then sometimes, being the master communicator that Jesus was, he would tell a parable and he would drop the mic and walk away and leave us to figure out what in the world he meant. This one is a bit of a hybrid. He tells us a little bit. He tells us the point. What's the one thing he wants us to learn? But we have to wrestle with some of the things he's going to say in this story and figure out how they apply directly to our lives. So he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who's going on a long trip. He called his servants and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Now, I want you to note that word entrusted. It's important. We're going to come back to that word entrusted here in just a moment. But he says there's a man in ancient times who wanted to go and increase his business relationships, his network. In Jesus' day, a business owner would have to travel around the world, meet people, make connections one-on-one. He didn't have Skype. 
He didn't have LinkedIn, okay? He had to go do it face-to-face. And so what business owners in Jesus' day would do is that they would entrust their business to certain employees. They would go on a long journey, make connections, sign some deals, and then they would come back and they would take back over the business again. So Jesus says that's exactly what the kingdom of heaven is like. So the Bible says he entrusted to his servants his money while he was gone. Verse number 15, he gave five bags of silver to one servant. Two bags of silver to another servant, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it up in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. This is the first time you're hearing this story. You might think to yourself, well, that's not fair. I mean, how come one guy gets five bags of cash? That's pretty sweet. And then the other guy only gets two. And here's this poor sucker at the end who's only got one bag of silver that he's supposed to use. But keep in mind, A, this is a made-up story. And B, this is good business practice. You know this intuitively. It happens at your job. People who are trustworthy get more responsibility from the bosses. And people who haven't yet proven themselves often don't get as much responsibility. So that's what's going on here. We've got a wise business manager who gives three bags of money of differing amounts to his employees, and then he goes on a trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money, and he earned five more. Good job. Ka-ching. This guy doubled the investment. The servant who had two bags of silver also went to work, and he earned two more. Great job. He doubled it. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground, and he hid his master's money. If this were a movie, this would be the point that the soundtrack changed, you know? Even if you've never heard this story, you don't know the ending of it, you can already tell it's not going to go so well for this guy who dug a hole and buried his master's money. So in verse number 19, after a long time, their master returned from his trip, and he called them to give an account. Mark that phrase in your mind. We're going to come back to it. He called them to give an account of how they used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more, and he said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. He said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. I mean, come on. If you gave somebody who worked for you a little bit of cash and they doubled it, you'd be pretty excited too, right? The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver and I have now earned two more. The master said the exact same thing. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came, and he said, not master, you gave me one bag of silver, and so I put it to work so that I could earn another one. He says, master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops that you didn't plant and gathering crops that you did not cultivate. I was afraid that I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. Now, if you're thinking about from a purely business perspective, the boss might be like, well, at least you didn't lose the investment, right? Like, I mean, you didn't earn anything like your coworkers here, but at least you didn't lose the money that I gave you. But that's not how the master responds. In verse number 26, the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. 
Now, that word wicked, it can be a little confusing. It's a translation of a Greek word that actually means useless, okay? So he's not wicked in the sense of morally wrong. He's not evil, but the master is like, hey, you were useless. You were lazy, He said, you knew that I harvested crops that I didn't plant and I gathered crops that I didn't cultivate. So why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least you could have gotten some interest on it. He's like, dude, you didn't even have enough, you know, energy or gumption to walk down to the local bank and invest the money or put it on deposit. It's like, wow, you really are useless and lazy. So in verse 28, the master ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have in abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, those are pretty harsh words, right? That's pretty tough. But again, remember, A, this never really happened. It's a made-up story Jesus told to make a point. And B, even if we want to put this in the real world, it's just good business practice. You want to give increased responsibility. You want to give more resources to the people who are able to use them well. Now, the last verse, verse number 30, is where people get tripped up a lot, okay? Because in verse number 30, the master says, Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, People who uh, are a little more familiar with the Bible, they like to draw a conclusion there, right? Because this is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. This is a story about something that happens here on earth, but it's meant to teach us about the nature of God and the nature of our lives. And so there are some people who jump to a pretty big conclusion, and they say, "Uh uh-oh, That person just got thrown in hell. That's what it means. He's cast out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now understand, there's a lot of symbolism that's going on in this particular story. I can't say, in fact, no one can say exactly what Jesus was referring to there. I can say it's probably not good. Nobody wants to be cast out. I don't know if Jesus was just being dramatic and saying, hey, this guy was fired. I don't know if he is making some sort of statement about the afterlife. It's tough for us to know for sure, but understand the point that Jesus is trying to communicate here is that the master takes very seriously the opportunity he gives to his servants to invest their resources. He takes it really seriously. It's not something that he does, and eh, if it works out great, if it doesn't, no big deal. He takes it very, very seriously. So there's the story. And believe it or not, those verses give us the blueprint, the outline for investing our lives, for making a difference in the world around us. Before we read it, I said you needed to ask three questions when you approach this text. Do you remember what they are? The first one is, where is God? The second one is, where am I? And the last one is, what's the point? What's the one thing that's trying to be communicated here? So where is God in this story? Well, that's pretty easy, right? He's the master. He's not the servant that has to give an account for everything. No, God is represented by the master in this story. Where are we in this story? We're the servants, right? We are the servants, the ones who have been entrusted with resources. What's the point of the story? It's to teach us about the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you're tracking with me, if you're sharp, you might think for just a sec, wait, 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 wait. You told me a minute ago, Dan, that this was a story about how I can make a difference in my world. And then Jesus comes along and he says, this is a story about the kingdom of heaven. So which is it? Is this a story about us making a difference on earth or is it a story about heaven after we die? 
When Jesus uses the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, he's not talking about heaven the way that we typically do. We normally think of heaven as the afterlife, right? You typically see it portrayed as angels with wings floating around on clouds. Sounds horribly boring. The Bible actually never talks about heaven that way. Heaven sounds pretty rad according to the scripture. But when Jesus is talking about heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, he isn't talking about the afterlife, where we go when we die. Instead, Jesus is talking about that time and place here and now on earth when God's will is done. The kingdom of heaven is any place where God gets his way. That means the kingdom of heaven can happen right here in this theater. It can happen at the mall. It can happen at your office. It can happen in your home. It can happen in the mountains. It can happen anywhere at all in which God is recognized as God, where we relate to one another the way that God always intended for us to relate to one another, and we take care of the resources that we've been given the way that God wants us to. The kingdom of heaven, when Jesus talks about it in the Bible, is what happens when we pull a little bit of that perfect future, that heaven that we think about where people get along and everything is good and nobody lacks anything. The kingdom of heaven, as Jesus talks about it, is what happens when we pull a little bit of that perfect future into our imperfect present. Another way to put it is we make a difference in our world when we make earth a little more like heaven. When we love and serve one another the way we should, when we honor and give thanks to God, the one who ultimately deserves it, we are actually creating a small bit of heaven here on earth. So this really is a story about how you and I can make a difference in our world. The way that we make a difference is not to do more earthly things. That is to create more of the earth where people compete and we hate and we fight and we take at the cost or expense of someone else. The exact opposite is the kingdom of heaven according to Jesus, where we become the people that God always intended us to be and he is recognized as the God that he's always been. This is a story about how you and I can change our world. We said that God is recognized by the master, and the master entrusted his resources to the servants. It's so important that you realize God did not give the resources. The master did not give the resources to his servants. When you give something, it's like saying, hey, you can do what you want to with this. I don't expect to be repaid. This is yours. It's a gift. The master also didn't loan his money to the servants. Because when you loan something, what you're saying is, here, do what you want with this, but at some point you need to pay me back. Instead, the scriptures are very clear that the master entrusts his servants with his resources. And when you entrust something to someone, what you're saying is, I don't want you to do what you would do with these resources. I want you to do what I would do with them. And there's going to be an accounting. We're going to have an evaluation of what you did with what you were given. There's one last thing I want to point out. We're going to run through a couple of principles and we're going to be done. When you hear this, and as we talk over the next couple of minutes, when I say the word resources, your mind is automatically going to go to money, right? And you're going to be like, "Mm mm-hmm, I knew it. I come to church and they start talking about money. That's all they ever talk about. And the truth is, 
When God talks about resources, when Jesus talks about resources, even the specific resources that are mentioned in this story, it is money. But the resources from a biblical standpoint are much, much more than just our finances. Finances are such a small part of what God has given to each one of us. You have a lot more resources than that. Think about time. Time is actually the most valuable resource. Isn't it funny how people get upset when they come to church and they hear, you know, the pastor talking about finances, when in reality, time is a much more valuable resource than finances, Finances are a renewable resource. You can always make more money. You can never get more time. It's weird that we guard our wallets as if that's the most valuable thing in our life, when in reality, the most valuable thing is that clock that's ticking down every second, reminding us that our life is passing us by, and we have the opportunity to make a difference, to invest that resource, and yet too often, We overlook it. We let it pass. You've got other resources. You may not think of them this way all the time, but you've got other resources. You've got education. You you went to college or you've been trained. That education that you've been given, you need to look at it as a resource that God has given you that you can turn around and use to bless and serve the world around you. You've got a home. Part of the reason you have the home that you do is so that you can use it as a resource. Do you remember what it was like when you bought your home? Do you remember the things you said to justify buying that home? You were like, if we had this big old house, we could have guests over all the time. That would be so awesome. I would be the hostess with the mostess. And it's been months since anybody's been over. We need to think about the big things and the small things in our lives as a resource that God has given us to invest to make a difference. You've got love. Love is free. You can give that to anybody at any time, and you need to look at it as a resource that you can use to make a difference in the world. You've got a family of origin. You've got a story. You've been brought through some things that you can use to help those around you so they can avoid the same mistakes or they can get through the traps that they're caught in right now. Your life is full of resources that God has given you. Now, some of you are five baggers, some of you are two baggers, some of you are one baggers when it comes to resources. The good news is nobody's a zero bagger. Everybody has been given resources by God with which they can make a difference in the world around them. So let me give you a few principles and we're going to wrap up here very quickly. Let me give you a few principles When it comes to making a difference, because again, you were not made to live a routine life. You were not made to be passive. You were not made to react or to get caught up in the daily routine. You were created for something much more than that. When it comes to making a difference, what you have is not nearly as important as what you do with what you have. A lot of times we think, oh, I've got to have lots of resources if I'm going to impact the world. If I'm going to make a difference, then I've got to have a lot from which to give. But you look here in this passage and you find out there was a person given five bags, a person given two, a person given one. And the master's response to them was the same regardless of how much they started with or the amount that they were able to gain in their investments. The person who came back with 10 bags was praised the exact same way as the person who came back with 
four bags. No matter their starting amount, the fact that they were investing and using their resources is what mattered, not what they started with. I don't know why some people have so much more than others. And again, I say that and you probably automatically go to finances. I'm not necessarily talking about that. I don't know why your upbringing was so difficult and your husband's was so great. I can't explain why God gave you one or two bags and gave him five. I just don't know the answer to that. I don't know why your sister is the five, 10, 15, 20 bagger, and you're the two or the one bagger in your family. I can't explain those things, okay? I don't have those answers. I don't know why some people seem to have all the money and time and energy in the world, and you're barely able to keep your head above water. I don't have that answer. But what I can tell you is that even if you're a one bagger, so to speak, God has given you everything you need in order to make the difference that he's called you to make. You have everything you need to make the difference that God has called you to make. No, you probably don't have the biggest home on your block. That's okay. You can still use your home as a blessing to your neighbors. No, your bank account is probably not as wealthy as other people at work. That's okay. You still have resources that you can invest into the world around you. God has given you everything you need to make the difference that he has called you to make in our world. I like the way Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Peter says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Remember what I said, love is a resource that we can invest in the world around us. It can make a difference. He says in verse 9, cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. We need to look at everything we have from our car to our home to whatever as a resource to be invested. Use them well to serve one another. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Verse 11, he says, do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Then do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. What you have is not nearly as important as what you do with what you have when it comes to making a difference. Here's another principle for you. Making a difference always brings risk. It does. There is always a risk. You notice what this last servant, the one who hid the money, you notice what he said, I was afraid. I was scared. Because if I went out there and I tried to use your money in some business deals and things went south and I lost it all, then what's going to happen to me? He was scared of the risk that he was facing. And so instead, he held back. He turned inward. And he chose not to make a difference. He chose not to leave his mark. Now, with most parables, there's a surprise twist. There's something unexpected the first time you hear it. And the surprise twist here is that the master was actually upset that the servant didn't take the risk. Even if he would have lost all of the silver that he had been given, I think the master would have been happier because at least he tried. At least he did something with what he was given. There are always going to be costs and risks if you want to make a difference. Every resource that you invest into your relationships, every resource that you invest into the world around you is one less that you can spend on yourself. 
That means there's a cost to it. If you want to make a difference, you're going to have to get into some relationships, develop some, some friendships. You're going to have to get to know your neighbors or that annoying coworker. You know, you're going to have to do that. And anytime you develop those relationships, it involves risk. Hey, this is true even in the church. If you get involved at a church, whether it's Connect or some other church, eventually you'll have to open yourself up. If you want to invest the resources that God has given you, and again, I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about much more than that. If you want to invest your resources, even through the church, there's a risk there. You could be hurt. It happens even in churches. Some of you have been through that. And so if you've ever been burned in a romantic relationship, family or business deal, or even in church, your reaction is to pull back. Your reaction is to start guarding yourself. I'm not going to let that happen again. I will never go back, or I will never talk to that person. But can I just remind you that you were not made to bury your life in the ground. You were made to take risks, to spend whatever it takes, to take a chance so that you can make a difference. Nobody changes the world by playing it safe. Nobody. Anybody who's ever done anything worth mentioning has taken risks, has taken a chance, has paid the cost, and we celebrate them for it. We don't celebrate the people who play it safe, who keep everything for themselves. We celebrate the ones who take risks. That's what the master wants for us, to use whatever resources he's given us, even if it means that we have to take some risks in the process. If you refuse to take risks, if you refuse, then I'll just tell you flat out, your life in the long run is going to feel fairly hollow because you know that you were designed for more than playing it safe. You'll know that there's something you should be experiencing that you're missing out on. Last principle. You can make a difference or you can make excuses, but you cannot do both. You can do one or the other, but you cannot do both. People who make a difference stop making excuses. And people who make excuses are never able to really make a difference. This last guy, the one who buried the money, the one who got in so much trouble, he was full of excuses. When he came back to the master, he didn't say the same thing that the first two did. Hey, master, you entrusted me with this money, and so I did with it what you wanted me to do with it. He didn't say that. Instead, he came to the master, and he said, I knew that you were a harsh man. Translation, you're kind of mean. And I was afraid if I lost the money that you would get upset with me. This is ultimately your fault, okay? That's really what he's doing. He's making excuses. He says, hey, I know that you're able to harvest crops where you have not planted, and you're able to reap where you have not sown, which is a weird sentence for us in the 21st century. But essentially what he's saying is, you have a knack for this stuff, man. I don't. I, I just can't do it the way that you do it. Really, this is your fault because you chose the wrong guy. You probably should have taken my bag and given it to one of those other guys that knows what they're doing. This is ultimately your fault. You can't get mad at me. He had his excuses. He said, I was afraid. So I didn't do anything. He probably had excuses that he didn't even voice, you know? Like, if you had given me three bags or five bags, sure, I could have done something. But what do you expect me to do with only one bag of silver? He was full of excuses. But excuses prevent us from making a difference. Excuses prevent us from making a difference. 
Everyone comes up with excuses. Man, we're good at that. And they come easy, right? I'm too busy. No, I can't do that. I'm just not outgoing. I'm not a very friendly person. I can't do that. I don't have enough money. Sorry, I can't help. I just don't have enough. You know, I'm still healing. Just inside, I'm healing. I need some time, right? I'm too old. I'm just too old. I can't do that anymore. I'm too young. Nobody will take me seriously. We are full of excuses. But you have to realize at some point, you've got to come to the understanding that the more excuses you make, the less of a difference you can make. The more excuses you come up with, I, I just can't. I can't right now. I'm too busy. Life is too crazy. I don't have as much as that person. Otherwise, I would. The more excuses you make, the less of a difference that you will be able to make in the world around you. Hey, let me just be really direct, and I hope you'll forgive me for this because I'm saying this in the hopes that it helps you, and it's something that I'm working through myself. If we're not willing to take a risk, and if we're not willing to stop making excuses, then we've got no right to complain when we wake up in the morning and we look around and we say, I don't know that my life really matters. I don't know that I'm making a difference. I don't know that I'm leaving a positive mark on the world. It shouldn't be all that surprising if we're too scared that we're going to get hurt so we never take a risk, or if we continually make excuses about how some magic day in the future, when we have all the things that we supposedly need, then I'll be qualified. Then I'll be capable in order to do whatever it is that God has called us to do. God created you to make a difference in the world around you. He wants you to break free of the routine. He wants you to break free of the boring, mundane existence. He wants you to live for something bigger than yourself. And that happens when you invest whatever it is, whatever resource God might be calling you into his kingdom. When you help make our world a little bit like the world that God always intended. In big ways and in small ways, when you do that, you will make a difference.